Well, good morning again on this overcast December Sunday, but a beautiful day. Had a good first service. Welcome to those of you that are visiting with us and those of you that may be online. Good to have you as well. I understand we still have quite a few people that join online for various reasons, and there's been a lot of sickness lately too. So I know we've got various people that are out sick, and we've been praying for for them as well. So those of you that might be home with the flu or with COVID or some people have COVID and the flu right now, there's a lot of that going around. So um, hope the Lord touches and heals and and, uh, brings you through uh, the last two Decembers uh, in 2021 and 2020. uh, I got COVID like right after Christmas. So I'm like, Please, not three years in a row, but, uh, you know, um, but I know it's possible, and so if it happens, you, you know, I forewarned you in advance, but uh, I know that you know a lot, of, a lot of people have been coming down with things lately, but um, always makes you appreciate health, amen? When you, when, you, when you feel good, you're like, yes, Lord, why did I take that for granted? So uh, praying for all those of you that are uh, visiting or watching uh, homesick or things like that, but... Um, couple of quick things before we get into the word. Yesterday was our last uh, Saturday of the Ananias House prayer um, and worship uh, Zoom calls. And uh, it was the 12th one of the year from the Middle East. And just what a blessing. Yesterday we heard from the ladies. Now, obviously, we spent time in prayer and there was worship in Arabic again. Uh, but every every uh, time they shared, it was translated from Arabic into English. A couple of them spoke English as well, uh, but we heard from the ladies yesterday. What a blessing. Uh, Rabia, who is on the far right, I don't know Rabia, but I mean, she was speaking yesterday, but speaking from Turkey, um, and my wife can attest this, Pastor Trevor, those of you that watched online, uh, she had one of the most joyful, infectious, just, um, you could tell just joy was flowing from her. And here she is in Turkey, and, and I was just, uh, I was really convicted because here in America where we have so much, and there's no one preventing us from going to church, there, there, there's not, uh, you're not going to be right. thrown into jail today for going to church or anything. Tur- right. Turkey has some of the, uh, you know, even though the letters of seven churches were to Turkey, uh, it's amazing that here we are 2,000 years later, and Turkey is one of the lowest um, Amounts of Christians percentage-wise of any place on planet Earth. It's like 99. She even did the. Uh, she says 0.0006 or something like that are believers, and uh, you can face imprisonment and things like that, uh, depending on how they decide to, uh, you know, act in, in any given year. Uh, but uh, she was on there and just full of joy, and I was like I was getting joyful just listening to her, and then I was like I told my wife I said. I said, it's amazing. I said, I meet Americans that just complain nonstop, and they have all the freedoms in the world in Jesus. And I'm like, why? Can't, uh, this lady needs to speak at every church in the world. I mean, I, it just was great. So, uh, but um, and something I didn't put on the on the screen, uh, we had talked about. We want to send a gift to the Sudan, uh, where, where John, you know, was talking about how the, years ago. The church there in Syria, they just took off their jewelry and threw it in the offering plate because they had no money, and they sent their gold jewelry to Sudan. That was what they had. They didn't have any money. So if you would consider, hey, Christmas is the number 20, 25th day, maybe even you give 25 bucks 
But uh, between uh, next Sunday and Christmas Sunday, we'll have uh, also on our online, uh, if you want to give to Christmas to Stan, or uh, some local families in need. We also have some local families that, that need help here in the holidays and Christmas season. So either one of those, uh, we'll have some opportunities next week. There'll be a, a special thing for that, as well as on, on our website. Uh, so wanted to throw that out there to you. Uh, this coming Wednesday will be our last uh, Wednesday service of 2022 because we don't have the one the week of the Christmas Eve Eve service, which is that Friday night, the 23rd, that Pastor Trevor mentioned. And uh, we don't have one the week after Christmas just to give all of our servants that rest. So this coming Wednesday, it'll actually be our last Discipleship Interactive. We'll be talking about sharing our faith, uh, missions, how to uh, give out the gospel. We'll be talking about some of the mission trips that we're looking at in 2023. So if you're interested in going to Guatemala or one of the other countries, uh, we'll be talking about some of those things. But but really what prevents us from sharing our faith, uh, I have one of those little bags. I have two of them. My wife gave one out the other day. We'll be giving some more out this week. So just use this as an entree to uh, present the gospel. We'll be talking about these things and uh, we'll actually do something a little different. We'll actually have pizza available at 6 o'clock. Uh, our service starts at 6.30. We'll probably start at about 6.40 uh, to give people a little time. But um, if you want to come out early, uh, but we would ask that you register and let us know so we give it a head count of how many pizza slices to order. So uh, we will have that around 6 o'clock here. And we'll order some extra because there's always times where people just still don't register or forgot to, but we'll, we would appreciate to have some notice. But a good discussion that we're going to have in our last Discipleship Interactive this Wednesday. And uh, as I told the first serve, it's hard to believe Christmas is two Sundays away. Uh, so next Sunday is the 18th, the Sunday after is the 25th. We've already had the Lord doing some great things, and uh, thank you to the ladies that made those uh, evangelistic handouts that we have at the, at the information booth. We really appreciate that. You can tell that the teens had a horrible time on Wednesday night uh, down there on the right-hand side. Uh, those older teens had their party last week, so the older teens are invited to be part of our Discipleship Interactive this Wednesday. And they're old enough. They, they, they can talk about mission trips. We've actually taken some of the high school kids on mission trips, sharing their faith. So I'd encourage the young, uh, young people to join us on Wednesday night. But uh, we've already had a, a great time with the men that Saturday and the ladies on that Friday night. So thank you all to the ladies for making these outreach um, uh, handouts available. We really appreciate that. And the following, so next Sunday is the 18th, the Sunday after that is Christmas Sunday. Just a reminder that uh, we'll be out of the book of John next Sunday. I'll be sharing things about uh, the birth of Jesus. Um, now, I celebrate, just like the rest of y'all do, I celebrate the birth of Christ here in the Christmas season. I got bad news. Jesus was not born on December 25th. Just so you all know. He was not born on the 25th. It's okay, but we still are celebrating that he was born and came to this earth. That's what we're celebrating. So I'm celebrating the birth of Christ, and I celebrate his birthday all year long. So uh, in that respect, I'm always celebrating his birthday and his resurrection day as well. So, uh, But we'll talk about some of these things. Uh, what, what was going on when Jesus came to this earth? And we'll talk about what took place there in Bethlehem, and I hope it'll be... Uh, enlightening and, and also faith building for you. We'll look at uh, the, uh, the things that God lined up very specifically 
and the bringing of Jesus into this world. So I'll look at that next Sunday, and then that Christmas Sunday is just the one service at 1030. No child care. Um, I, we, I guess we might have a, we'll have a place for moms if they have little, little ones in the nursery to, to, to go out there, but, um, but that's a family service on Sunday the, t- uh, the 25th. So uh, keeping all those things in mind. Uh, lastly, we're praying for revival as we have been praying for, oh, going on 15 years, and um, we've needed one for a long, long time. I've been praying for revival since before 9-11, me personally. I actually knew I was going to be called in the ministry because I was like, I was in corporate America, and I was always telling my coworkers, this is not going to always go the way it's currently going. And I still believe that. I believe that uh, um, God has allowed all four wheels to stay on the cart, but at some point, mm-hmm. a wheel's, only, only one wheel coming off, and how does your car do? <laughs> well, I still got three. It's going to do, you know, one wheel off, and everything changes. And so God has been so gracious to us as a country. Uh, we've been so rebellious as a country and so much just resisting the Lord. And Israel did the same thing to their own detriment to the point where God gave them over and they were carried off into captivity. And so um, as I remind people sometimes, everything the Bible says is true. Here's one for the young people. Honor your father and mother that your days will be long upon the earth. How's that one? Did you know it's still in the Bible? Honor your father and mother. Your days will be long. You want a long life? Start honoring mom and dad, young people. But to a country, God says, uh, turn from your wicked ways, and then I'll heal the land. So that's one for adults. So there's still still the scripture, and that's why we're praying for revival, because unless there's a repentance, uh, God will have no choice but to pour out judgment. There's just no other way. But he loves us enough to uh, give us his son, and to give us the opportunity to receive grace. So if you're able, we've been doing this ever since the pandemic. We started getting on our knees, which is harder in this service. Their first service, they have lots more room. But in this service, a little less uh, room. If you're able to get on your knees, go for it. We don't have the old-fashioned knee pads they had in the 1800s. But uh, if you can't, just sit right where you're at and pray with us. And then we'll get into John 18 together. Father in heaven, we bow before you, for you are worthy and holy and mighty and awesome. And Lord, we can't comprehend your holiness. We cannot comprehend your power. We read of it. We sometimes can get an inkling of it. But Lord, nowhere near understanding how holy you are. The angels say nonstop, holy, 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 Lord. But we know that by the curse of sin, we are naturally not holy. We are an unclean thing. And Lord, even our righteousness is filthy rags. And so, Lord, even as we come before you, we come by your grace and your mercy only. We come to the mercy seat. We ask, Lord, that you would be compassionate, 
merciful. And even in this room, if we know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, just empty us. Fill us afresh and anew with your forgiveness and with your mercy and your grace. And, and Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, today would be the day they would call upon the name of the Lord. Those that are watching online, Lord, we pray that you would purify and wash them as well. And Lord, if any of them don't know you, that they would realize that you came to bring salvation. Lord, we pray for our nation, Lord. Uh, we're not the ones standing in judgment. You'll be the one standing in judgment, Lord. None of us are worthy, Lord, but uh, we pray that you would awaken, open the eyes of those that are in darkness. Uh, Lord, we have so many idols in this country. They might not be graven images anymore, but their careers, their self-pride uh, self of self, Lord, there are uh, idols of possessions and materialism, and Lord, there's so many false religions, and Lord, there's just a rejection of anything except for self, and Lord, so we pray that you would uh, bring a wave of repentance, even in churches, even in this church, Lord, we pray that there would be an outpouring of an awakening that would take place. Lord, we pray for the the nation of Somalia, Lord, we're praying for countries around the world. We lift up that country. We know you love the Somali people. We pray, Lord, that you would bring a revival to their nation as we pray it for our own. And, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As everybody's knees, our floors are not too kind on these. Uh, Pastor Trevor and I, we were at the hospital recently, and we got our knees, and uh, there it's just tile floors, or whatever it is, I don't know, like, uh, concrete with a little bit of tile on top, and, um, and uh, that, that my knees felt uh, more than th this little bit of carpet, at least gives you something, but uh, turn with me to John chapter 18, John chapter 18, picking up with where we left off, and like I said, next Sunday we'll get back, or we'll, we'll step out of John and look at the birth of Christ and the coming, we'll look more at the coming promise next Sunday, and then the, the Christmas day we'll look at the actual birth itself. But um, John chapter 18, picking up with where we left off, I'm going to reread verse 12. We did read verse 12 last week, let's reread it uh, as it kind of bridges the two scenes. So John chapter 18, verse 12, then the, t then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested and bound and arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke with her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, "You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you?" He said, "I am not." Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. Indeed, 
they know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off. You don't get to say that every day, right? Um, uh, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again this morning. Your word in our hands. Lord, I pray that your spirit in this place magnifies your word, magnifies your name. I pray for your help. I pray for your anointing. I pray for your, uh, Lord, for your protection, your wisdom, your understanding. Lord, your counsel. I could never teach your word without your help. And Lord, I pray that your people would be hearers and doers of your word. And any that don't know you, Lord, that they would hear and receive and come to you by saving faith. We ask, Lord, that the minister of your word do a mighty work in drawing us near and conforming us to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We left off with Jesus entering the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going back to last week. Jesus was entering the Garden of Gethsemane, which, as you remember, means olive press. And by the way, you might not know this, but those two little trees in the corner are olive trees. Two little olive trees. There's actually, if you go over there, there's little olives. Don't try and eat them. They're plastic. <laughs> but, but they look real. And, and we like the reminder that uh, we need the oil of the Holy Spirit. We like the reminder that Jesus prayed there in the garden of the olive trees. And so we've got these two little olive trees in the corner. That's why they're there. Uh, but then in this hour or so of intense pressing against Jesus... With the mission of the cross, it was just then hours away. Jesus was pressing into the strength and the help of his Father while his disciples nodded off to sleep. And they continued falling asleep even after Jesus reminded and rebuked them on two occasions. But their sleep and his time of prayer finally ends with the arrival of Judas and the detachment of soldiers, and of the officers, and the chief priest. Judas, as you recall, he approaches Jesus with a warm greeting. Greetings, Rabbi. And a kiss, very common in the Middle East, and, and, and South America, and Central America, and Latin America, that little kind of thing on the side cheek. He comes and does that warm embrace to identify Jesus as the one the soldiers should arrest. We saw them asked Jesus, and in response to who he was, he says, I, they're asking for Jesus of Nazareth, he says, I am he. And that entire contingent of troops and officers, they tumbled backwards. They fell to the ground, their torches, their spears, all their gear, they collapsed on the ground. Really, no scene like it in all of Scripture where when words are spoken, everyone that's standing in front falls backward like a hurricane force wind knocked them over. 
we saw Jesus verify a second time. They ask again. Jesus of Nazareth says, I told you, I am he. A seeming opportunity for them to reassess their motives, their actions. But in collecting themselves, they draw near and they grab Jesus. And when they do, Peter preemptively grabs his sword. And he slices off Malchus, who's the high priest, chief servant. He slices off his ear. Jesus rebuked Peter. Reminded him that he he had to drink the cup of God's wrath. He had to drink the cup of the wrath poured out on sin. And then Luke, the physician who loved to tell us all the things Jesus did from a medical perspective, not only that, but he he was the one that, that was the physician that loved to tell us these details, such as the fact that he told us that when Jesus prayed, he was sweating drops of blood. He's the only one that told us that. But Luke also, who told more of Jesus' healing miracles than any of the other Gospels, tells us that Jesus took the ear, put it back on Malchus's head, and fused it back together instantly. And I bet it was better than ever. <laughs> Imagine if he had an earring thing. Gone, your lobe's back to normal. You know, uh, you have to get it reposted or whatever. But as soon as he heals Malchus's ear... What do they do? They promptly arrest Jesus. And now Jesus has been brought back into the city walls. He had come out of the city to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. They bring him back into the city, back inside the walls of Jerusalem, and he's taken in the dark and early morning hours. First he's taken to Annas. Second he'll be taken to Caiaphas for an examination with these men with one intent, a pronouncement of death. That's the only intent they have. There's no other sentence they're going to give but death. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. In the dark of the night, Jesus testifies before the high priest. Back to verse 13, if you have your Bibles open. In verse 13, we already know he's been bound and taken away. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Verse 14, now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. We know that Jesus had all the power, all the authority, if he chose to, to be sitting on his throne in heaven, to call 72,000 angels, as he said. To literally, if he chose, Jesus could just rise up and stand in the sky. You know, we notice that uh, our generation is mesmerized by superheroes who can do such things. Like, they can just fly up in the sky. Jesus can do that. He can, someday, if you're saved and you're here for the rapture, you will stand with him in the clouds. Literally, you'll just be standing in the clouds. He had that power. He had that authority. He had that right. But instead of standing in the clouds or, or sitting on his throne, he's standing there bound like a lamb on the, th- like a lamb on the altar. Yes. He's standing there bound as if he's a common criminal. He's first taken to the home of Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. This was Caiaphas's year as the high priest. Now, you could serve multiple years, but he was specifically the, priest, the high priest that year. Annas 
We know historically from other writings, Annas was formerly the high priest from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15. So Annas had a pretty long tenure as the high priest. We know that at least four of Annas' sons, perhaps five, we know at least four of his sons also ended up serving as high priest in Jerusalem, as well as his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who was the priest at this time. Annas wielded tremendous power and influence over the priesthood, over Jerusalem, over the Sanhedrin, over the wider Jewish community, religious community especially. But anyone in the Jewish community in the Jerusalem area knew that Annas had a lot of power. He had, in his leadership, um, he had been quite the opposite of Jesus. We know that um, even though Annas had actually been removed from being high priest by Pilate's predecessor, Pilate's predecessor had removed him from the high priest role, but even though he had been removed from being high priest, he still retained all the same power within the Jewish community. Does that make sense? So even though he was taken out of that position, the Roman rulers had, they had the power to choose the high priest. But Anna still remained kind of the power even behind Caiaphas. The family of Annas had quite a reputation. They had a lot of power. They didn't hesitate to use it. They were a powerful family. Uh, they were instead of, uh, they were a religious family that when they wanted to, they could act like a crime family as far as just, uh, just as far as wielding that kind of power and we will get you if we decide to. Their leadership was so opposite of Jesus's, which Jesus came humble, meek, healing people, washing his very disciples' feet earlier that night. How he treated people was with compassion. How they treated people was with, was with condescension or worse. The Scottish pastor and theologian William Barclay, he was citing the writings of the Talmud. And uh, if you've ever heard the word Talmud, the Talmud is a collection of thousands of writings by Jewish rabbis uh, dating from the 5th century A.D. in the Babylonian captivity. They began to collect all the writings of these different rabbis that were in uh, Babylon, all the way to um, the 5th century A.D. So from the Babylonian captivity to the 5th century A.D., you have thousands of writings from Jewish rabbis, which include their philosophies, the oral law, traditions, commentary, doctrines, history, customs, and a whole lot more. And all that is in these thousands of writings in the Talmud. And if you were to uh, go to a Jewish synagogue, even in Richmond, they will read often from the Talmud. And matter of fact, sadly, oftentimes people are following the Talmud more than they're following the scriptures. But the Talmuds still have a lot of historical things that are quite valuable. There's a statement in the Talmud, uh, which William Barclay cites, and I'll put it up on the screen. He says, uh, this is one of the writings of the rabbi, Woe to the house of Anna. So one of the rabbis writes this uh, in the ancient times. Woe to, the ser to their serpents hiss. They are high priests. Their sons are keepers of the treasury. Their son-in-laws are guardians of the temple. And their temples and their servants beat the people with staves. That's like that for a religious pastor or leader, you know? 
They beat the people. And then Barclay's commentary there, he says, Annas and his household were notorious. They wielded power. Even the religious peers of Annas knew that the character was anything but godly. It was pure political power, and with the family being referred to as a serpent's hiss, that's not a compliment, you can't help but think of the serpent in the Bible, right? Remember that earlier that same evening, Satan entered into Judas. Literally, Satan entered into Judas. Judas had just betrayed Jesus just less than probably an hour earlier than this. So Satan had entered Judas, but you can better believe the serpent was also behind Annas and Caiaphas, right? The same serpent was, was moving Judas. Was, Satan's moving his chess pieces. God is going to blow Satan's chess pieces off the, off the table, let's be clear. But nevertheless, darkness and evil is moving in this darkness of the night. Satan's trying to orchestrate the opposition and the arrest of Jesus. Of course, Jesus is not resisting. He's walking into it as a lamb that's willing to lay down his life. Satan doesn't even really need to do that because Jesus is going to give his life anyway. But it still has to happen this way. As the prophets have prophesied, it has to be a death of crucifixion. Everything has to go a certain way to fulfill all the law and the prophets. Let's not miss the fact that even though this family and group of men they had no business representing the priesthood. They had no business representing God with their evil motives and their desires and their lust for power. God, surprisingly to us, although not so much after you read the Bible for a while, God nonetheless has Caiaphas unwittingly prophesy of the sufficiency of Jesus because God recognized the role, even though he rejected that man. Does that make sense? The role was still in force. Um, the high priest's role had not been discontinued. Jesus would eventually take over as the high priest, right? But the role was still important to God, even though the man fulfilling that role was an evil man. But Caiaphas prophesies unwittingly because he is the high priest and God had ordained the role of the high priest. He was nothing like Aaron who was uh, fulfilling that role in a humble manner as the brother of Moses, but that priesthood would sometimes often, and especially after a certain period in Israel's history, would be occupied by evil men. But God would still sometimes speak through the role, would he not? I mean, he spoke through a donkey once, right? Uh, that donkey didn't have much of a role, but it did on that day, but uh, normally didn't have a title. But, but whether it was Balaam or sometimes some of the kings, God would sometimes speak through ungodly men because of the role. But they still, if they didn't repent, they would end up in hell, even though God spoke something through them. So we would see this sometimes with some prophets and some kings, and there were times that Samson wasn't where he should be, and God would still use him. But when you think about the role, it's why we're to pray for all those who are in authority. Because there's sometimes there's leaders that you're like, Lord, why can't, why can't 
if there's a lightning bolt to hit, why doesn't it hit them? <laughs> Instead of some innocent person, you read a story and you see some innocent family, you know, you'll read the story and you're like, man, why does this poor family, they're just on their way to Christmas or something, they're hitting an automobile accident, why can't this happen to politician so-and-so, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the way we think. God's like, well, you're not so perfect either to begin with. But we're to pray for those in roles. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Therefore I, exert, for, uh, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Yeah. Even men you don't feel like praying for. Yeah. All men. Yeah. For kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now I'll admit, uh, when there's rulers that are just godless, it's not. I don't have a natural affection for them. But I still have to pray, God, open their eyes. That's why we pray for revival. That's why we get on our knees. I can't convince them. You can't convince them. Only God can. So even the apostles would have to pray for men like Annas, men like Caiaphas, men like Pilate, men like Herod. Those are the four main characters, by the way, in the condemnation of Jesus, those four guys. First, the religious side. The following morning will be the Roman government side. So you have two factions have to be in agreement for Jesus to go to the cross. But the apostles would still be under this tyranny after Jesus goes back to heaven. So they're going to have to learn to pray. And if we saw Rabia there in Turkey, she's thriving under an Islamic government that did not like Christianity. Isn't that great? Because God's giving her a little bubble of protection. But Caiaphas, he was correct on this point. He didn't have a right reason, but he said it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Caiaphas was correct that one man's death and only one man's death, only Jesus' death, would be sufficient to cover, the blood would cover the nation of Israel. Not just Israel, but all the nations, including all of us that are Gentiles. Every soul that would ever live, Jesus' death would be sufficient enough. Caiaphas is unknowingly, he's not know, he doesn't know he's doing this, he just wants Jesus dead. But Caiaphas is unknowingly teaching the doctrine of substitutionary death. In other words, that Jesus' death can spare anyone that comes to him eternal death. Right. His one death can atone for all of our deaths all right, and all of our sins. Yeah, go ahead. I think I will. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't Caiaphas' intent. But God used him in spite of the man. Verses 15 through 18. Let's see, there's a shift here. So God uses Caiaphas, and yes, Jesus' death is going to be substitutionary. But John takes a shift here in his account of the night, and let's look at it in verse 15. Starting verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. The other disciple was known to the high priest and went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, are you not one of his disciples? And stop right there. Peter, so John shifts here. Uh, John shifts what his focus is and, and turns away from the focus of Jesus' trial for just a second and focus on what's happening with some of the disciples as Jesus is being unjustly bound and interrogated. This is also recorded here 
what John is speaking of because Jesus had said earlier in the evening that Peter would deny him three times. So John comes back to that. Jesus had said it earlier in the evening. John comes back to it and focuses on Peter for a few verses here. Now Peter, we know, he couldn't defend Jesus. He tried, but Jesus rebuked him, heals Malchus's ear. But although Peter can't defend Jesus, he decides to follow him into the night. Which actually, I have to say, is pretty admirable, wouldn't you? I mean, he's doing his best to at least stay with Jesus. He's at a distance. He's trying to at least follow him. Uh, I would be glad if many Christians that call themselves Christians were at least trying to start to follow Jesus. I'd rather you follow him at a distance than be eight miles away not caring at all. So at least Peter, you know, we can give Peter a hard time about his denying, but at least he was trying in the night to kind of follow Jesus into the night. He couldn't defend Most scholars, uh, most scholars and most students of Scripture, and I I agree with this, I'm not saying I'm a scholar, but I do study the Scriptures, uh, believe that the disciple who was known to the high priest is none other than John himself. John never refers to himself by name. He, he seems to, every time he says, there was a disciple that Jesus loved, or the disciple laying on his breast, or the disciple known to the high priest. And when he's talking to this third person, uh, it's really him. So uh, it's likely that the family of John, this, the family of John had known the high priest Annas' family for some time. And it's possible that they were related in some way through marriage, Maybe even more than marriage. Maybe they, maybe they were uh, fairly close relatives. We don't know. Uh, some have suggested that John's father, John's father's name is Zebedee. And you can see that recorded that he uh, refers to the sons of Zebedee. Uh, his father, Zebedee, had a fishing business at the Sea of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. And some have suggested that it's possible that Zebedee's fishing business was the primary supplier of dried fish to the priest and his family. That was a common food source in that day. You remember in the, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the lad comes up there, he's got some hard bread, and what else? Fish. Not fresh fish. Fresh fish doesn't last long before everyone says, please get away from me, you smell bad. Uh, but what they would do commonly in the, uh, in the Middle East at that time, and it's still done in the Middle East, they do it in Norway, they do it in parts of Asia. You might see this uh, in some of the Caribbean islands or something, where they'll take fish and you kind of, they'll uh, they build these little wooden structures and they hang thousands of fish. They might put a little fire in the center of it and, and smoke it or let the sun dry it out. But before they do all that, they do what? They wrap it in salt and there's a lot of salt in the Galilean area. Not too far, they come bring salt up from the Dead Sea and you can kind of take all of that dry the fish, and so it's possible that uh, Zebedee's family uh, was a supplier to the priest. That would be quite a contract to get, by the way, because whenever you get people that have great influence, you get big contracts. So if you get a high priest family, you probably get a bunch of other contracts with it, uh, but we don't really know. But we do know that, that dried fish was shipped all over the Roman Empire from the Sea of Galilee. People especially love the taste of it, the flavor of it, just some... Uh, bonus material there for you. But uh, uh, we don't know at any rate why John was known to the high priest except for it's, it's obvious that his family knew, had some relationship with the high priest. And John is known to the family. And I was telling the first service the way I kind of view this, and I've seen this uh, in, in various settings uh, of life. Uh, 
it's, it's my view that John had some bit of kind of um, hands-off with the high priest. We don't know exactly how this works, but John was able to go in and out of that building that night, even though he was known as a disciple of Jesus. I could, I could see a conversation over the last three years with people in, in Annas' either family tree or his auric structure telling John numerous times in a three-year period, you better be careful. You might survive this, but your master won't. You might come out of this okay, but you're not going to have any other disciples. There's not going to be this little following of Jesus. We're going to kill the whole group. You might escape just because you're a fa- friend of the family, but just so you know, you're wasting your time. Why don't you just leave this and leave him? But John never would. John was the youngest disciple, came to Jesus the youngest. He will live to be the oldest. God will preserve him through all this. And he's even preserving him this night. We'll come back to that. So, we know that uh, John, because he was known to the family, he goes all the way into, uh, he goes into the, uh, the, into the house. Peter remains outside the house, and as a matter of fact, outside the doorway of the house. It's actually a villa-styled mansion. It's not just a house. It was a huge house. Caiaphas' house, Annas' house, huge homes there in Jerusalem. Uh, but God made sure, and only God could do this, God made sure that John had this special little bubble that he was known to the high priest, protected, even if the high priest could not stand what John was doing. some reason, John was given this little bit of protection. We see some of this too in, later in the book of Acts. Some people that were in the household of Caesar, for example. They were in the household of Caesar. So we see this other times as well. But even in this dangerous time, God makes sure John has an eyewitness account and a protected eyewitness account. And I'm sure even Caiaphas said, why, why did we never kill John? Why, shouldn't we have killed John a long, long time ago? Because now he's written an entire book about this whole thing. And now, and now it's 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. We should have taken care of John, but God's like, no, you won't. Verse 16. Uh, I already read verse 16, so let me just talk about it. Uh, so John apparently goes, uh, out, he goes back outside the house. He knows Peter's stuck outside. Peter can't get in because... He doesn't have any clout, and he's afraid at the same time. And he speaks with the servant girl, and I put a rendering of Annas' house, and and this was actually, it's a rendering of a restored home in Jerusalem. Uh, It may have actually been Annas' house specifically. There's some uh, archaeologists who think it might be. Uh, At any rate, it it either was Annas' house or something of a very similar home. I'm not saying, no one can say definitively, it might be a very similar home, but it's proximity to the temple and where it was in Jerusalem and the size of the home, it matches a lot of descriptions. Only a fairly small group of people had homes this large uh, in Jerusalem during that time. And Annas is one, Caiaphas is one, but we actually know where Caiaphas's home was. Uh, so this is what it looked like. And Peter is, John had gone all the way in into the house, all the way up to the courtyard. John had gone all the way up to the courtyard. Peter's still stuck outside the house on one of the little side streets like this. So he would be outside the home. More compounds, a better way to describe it, the mansion. He's outside it completely. He's not, this would be the outer entrance. So you have a servant girl in the middle of the night 
while other people get to sleep, the servants don't get to sleep. And so if uh, Annas calls a meeting in the middle of the night, which the soldiers had brought Jesus in there, she has to get up and stand at the door. So she would be at the outside door, either this outside door or one on the other side. We don't know which side uh, Peter's coming from. But he's outside. And then John comes down and puts in a word and says, hey, can you get my friend in? Um, this way, we, when I was unsaved, we got into bars, you know. But anyway, but this, I digress. But never, anyway, they, they come down to the door and say, John says, hey, he's with me. Can he come in? And, and um, he's given the free pass to go in. Now, she says, the servant girl, as Peter passes through the door, the servant girl says to Peter, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? It's a question that she's pretty sure she knows the answer to, but she asks it anyway. And by the word also, she clearly knows John is a disciple, right? You're not one of his, I already know John is. John is, the whole family can't understand it, and they've been trying to talk him out of it forever, and, but I'm not sure that the high priest is going to be happy with a second one of you guys coming in tonight. She obviously knows John is, and she's thinking along the lines, this could be more trouble if, uh, if you bring in another follower of Jesus. Um, they'll tolerate John, but she's not sure they're going to tolerate anyone else. Peter assures her, no need to worry, because he says, I'm not one. I'm not a disciple, which has to have her thinking, then why are you here in the middle of the night? Why wouldn't you be home in your bed? You're either... If you're, not, John's, if you're friends with John, he's with him, and everyone else is against him, why are you here? I, I think she knows the answer. But anyway, let's look at verse 18. Now the servants and the officers had made a fire of coals and stood there, for it was cold. They warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So there's a fire that the servants and officers had made in the courtyard. Uh, it is cold at this time of the year in Jerusalem. Those of you that went with us to Israel, we went in the spring, and uh, from any time in the winter to early spring, Jerusalem can get really cold nights, can get snowfall. It doesn't get snowfall like Buffalo or things like that, but every like once a decade, they'll get like a 12-inch snow, kind of like Richmond, and then in between, they'll get like some three-inchers, and every now and then, they'll just get du mostly dustings and things like that. But on a night, there's times in Jerusalem when wind chill, if it's 40 there, it feels worse than 20 on a still night in Richmond. I mean, when the wind is blowing, so you have that fire. You ever been in wind and you're like, man, it feels like it's eight below. And, you, and if you look at the clock or you look at the thing, it's like 41, but it feels like it's 28. And so it can be really cold there um, in, the, in the spring. And that's when it is in the month of Nisan, close to Passover. Uh, the Jerusalem's elevation is 3,000 feet up. Uh, Jesus is standing in the courtyard and he's bound. He's waiting till Annas gives the word because once Annas gives the word, uh, Jesus will be moved from the courtyard into the reception hall. The reception hall is adjacent to the courtyard. So he'll come from, Jesus has to wait until Annas says, bring him in. When Annas says, bring him in, then he'll be brought into the reception hall. The others will stay outside um, by, their, by, the, by the fire. And that's where Peter decides to stay and just warms himself by the fire until Jesus is brought in. So let's look at verses 19 and 20, uh, 19 to 21. The high priest then, now John goes away from Peter and goes back to Jesus here. So John tells a little bit what's going on with Peter. He shifts gears back to Jesus, and he's going to finish back with Peter again. 
Back to Jesus, verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. In secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the servants or one of the officers uh, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness to the evil, but why do you strike me? And Anna sent him bound uh, to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he goes back to Jesus here. And what we see, um, Jesus has not surrendered himself this night to re-preach. He's already done that. He's already preached everything that he needs to preach. He's already shared for three full years. He has boldly and lovingly proclaimed everything the Father gave him to proclaim in his three-year ministry. But he's come this night to surrender himself, to release himself to his captors. And it's fascinating to me that Jesus is here in the middle of all these guys and he's essentially saying to all of them, because he knows that in his three-year ministry, virtually everyone there in the reception hall that's now moved from the courtyard in the reception hall, Jesus is pretty, well, he's 100% sure. He knows everything I don't know. But I would say there's a good chance that almost everyone in that room had heard Jesus speak at least at some setting. At minimum, everyone in the garden just heard him say, I am he, a couple of times. You have priests, you have temple guards, you have officers that have almost all heard, if not all, him teach in the temple. They were the ones that were always sent to investigate Jesus, always sent to try and trip him up, always sent to, they would send scribes and Pharisees. These were the guys that were part of the contingent that tried to arrest Jesus a couple times in the temple, and they couldn't arrest him. Remember all that? So they had surely heard what he said. Jesus makes it clear. He says, they have all heard me here. So they, they know what I've said. They've heard me preach. They've heard me teach. It wasn't just the large crowds in Galilee. He said, I've done nothing in secret. Everything I've done has been in the open. I've taught in the temple. Not only taught in the temple, he cleared the temple two times, including this week, a second time with a whip. That didn't make any of them happy, by the way, right? The second time he cleared the temple, he, you know, that was just more fuel to the fire for them. The temple is just a short walk from Annas' house. All, all of this was, this is, the temple or, this is the temple guards that are related to this. So they've all heard Jesus. They've all heard him speak. But Jesus isn't there to re-speak. He's not there to re-teach. He's not there uh, to even make a defense of himself. He's there to present his life. And they've heard him preach. And Jesus said, not only that, it's fascinating to me that he says, he says, um, indeed, they know what I've said. He says, those who have heard me. One of the men there, we've already mentioned him a couple of times, one of the men there was temporarily unable to hear out of one ear because he lost an ear earlier that night. He's literally standing him in this group. One of them had lost his ear. His ear was laying on the dirt in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had then reattached and healed it. You have to wonder what Malchus is thinking here, right? Malchus is thinking, I, I heard him say I'm he. Then I couldn't hear anything out of this ear. 
Then he put my ear back on. You have to run with the other soldiers looking down at the mountain. You're going you're to say anything tonight? If anyone's got a testimony, you got one. Yeah. Yeah. An hour ago, we all saw your ear on the ground. It's amazing. Fear protects career. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fear protects career. Nobody was going to say a word. Because all of them, they might have believed what Jesus said. They might have heard what Jesus said. They might have even, but none of them were going to stand up to Annas and say, uh, we've got to tell you about something that happened in the garden tonight. First, we got blown over. He said, I'm here, and we got knocked out. Second, Malchus, right, Malchus, why don't you tell him? I'm not saying a word. I, I like my job. Annas will have my head, and I, I'm getting paid. I've got a good insurance policy. This guy's going to get crucified. I don't feel like going that route. So nobody said anything. Fear protects career. One of the officers, though, one of the real uh, guys that really wants to Annas favor, really wants to be the guy that Annas looks to, say, I can trust you for the most dirty of deeds. Whether he was there in the garden, we don't know, but, but like Annas, he has zero interest in Jesus' innocence. He has zero interest in Jesus' uh, as a witness. He has zero interest that witnesses are called. He has no interest in the doctrine. When Jesus says, they've heard, allow them to speak, with his cold and callous heart, he immediately takes his open hand. He strikes Jesus. And I can guarantee it was a full force. But this strike is the precursor of many blows that Jesus will take the rest of the way. This is the first, this is the first strike against strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. This is the first strike. This strike will, will be the start of many worse strikes, finishing with the nail strikes into the hands and feet. These men had a bloodlust, particularly uh, Caiaphas and Annas, and to murder the Son of God. They, they had already rejected him. Jesus, in verse 23, asserts his innocence, though. He, he's not there to defend himself, but he just simply states his innocence. If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? He could have given a lot more of a, of a defense of himself. He's simply just stating, if I've said, if anything I've said is wrong, show it. Of course, nothing that he said has been incorrect. It's all been accurate. And with this, in verse 24, then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas was done. He realizes that Jesus is not going to speak and retell any of his doctrine. Jesus is not going to repreach. He was like, he opened out his mouth. At, and when he gets for Pilate, he's even more silent than this. He's a little more dialogue uh, with the priesthood. Uh, but he's immediately at this point, he's sent from Annas to his son-in-law's home or the mansion just down the way in Jerusalem uh, to be formally tried in the pre-dawn hours. Uh, when he gets to Caiaphas' house, the Sanhedrin will already be gathered. The Sanhedrin, the council of 71 ruling elders, which includes Nicodemus, who's already been born again. But Nicodemus is going to be one guy against 70 at least, unless Joseph of Arimathea happens to be in that group. But nevertheless, you've got the Sanhedrin will be gathered there uh, at Caiaphas' house. Now, one of the things that Jesus knew is that even though Annas is recognized as a high priest to the Jewish community, 
He's not recognized as the high priest to the Romans. And for Jesus to be given over to Pilate, that has to be done formally by Caiaphas. Annas can't do that. Now, Annas was hoping that Jesus would, would go incriminate himself, and he'd send him with that evidence, but he got none of that, so he just sends him on to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the one that's going to have to pronounce him guilty and send him on to Pilate, which will be the following scene when we get back to this text in January in the, in the next scene. So this, um, uh, but then John, John, we're going to reread these last few verses in just a minute here, but John completely skips over Caiaphas's formal trial. Now, if you want to read about it, you can read about it in the other Gospels, but John completely skips over, he focuses on Annas' conversation with Jesus, he skips over the trial at Caiaphas's, which is the formal trial with the Sanhedrin, uh, it is a kangaroo court in the night where Caiaphas is basically going to make the decision anyway, no matter what anyone voted. But Caiaphas is there, um, but he skips over that. Uh, and it seems to me that, that John's omission of the face-to-face -face with Caiaphas is due to the fact that John had a different responsibility in writing the book of John in, in several respects. We've kind of noted them as we've gone through the study. Um, John is the one that recorded that Caiaphas said, he recorded it two times, we reread it here a second time, Caiaphas, John records for us that Caiaphas says it's expedient that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas said that because he just wanted Jesus removed, canceled, killed, gone. God allowed it to be recorded because it was the sufficiency that Jesus' death was enough to atone for the whole world's sins, including Israel. But the reason why I think John doesn't even cover Caiaphas is because it's a statement to say Caiaphas had already ruled that Jesus would be killed. He didn't need it. He had already made that decision weeks earlier, if not a couple of years earlier. Does that make sense? So John's like, look, Caiaphas had already decided Jesus needed to die. The other guys record it. And so he omits it and goes back to focus on Peter, his good friend Peter. Pick it up with me, verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warned himself. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He's already gotten this question from the servant girl. Now he gets it from somebody else. He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Swinging a... So it was so fast I just saw a blur of silver... I thought it was your face. Peter denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. So instead of um, focusing on the trial over at Caiaphas, John focuses on Peter here in this next scene before he moves on to the Roman trial of Jesus before Pilate in the morning. And that's what's called the, com uh, the complementary nature of the Gospels. The four of them focus on different aspects, and you can't cover them all at the same time. It's, it's really difficult, but I'm trying to fill in the blanks as we go. But Jesus had told Peter earlier in the night that before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Now, this, this happened because Peter said, if everyone denies you, I will not. Every time you make big, bold statements, <laughs> God could call you on them, Right? Be careful the big, bold statements you make. I'm going to do... Oh, really? But Peter made the statement. He would every, if everyone else failed you, if everyone else denied you, I will not. And Peter's like, I'm not going to do it. Jesus said, no, but before the night ends, 
rooster's going to crow three times. But till this point, he's only denied Jesus one time, and that was to the servant girl at the outside door headed into the compound. In verse 25, he's outside of Caiaphas's trial. He's at another courtyard, and apparently John gets him in again because this is a totally different set of... Uh, this is a totally different courtyard with a different fire that he's warming himself by in verse 25. Because he's at Caiaphas' house, which is as big as Annas' house, but bigger. And there he is at that fire. And another servant says, are you not with him? Uh, he says emphatically, I am not. And Matthew's gospel tells us on the second denial, Peter, to make sure that it, it's with more force, he decides to add an oath to it. He adds an oath to a lie. I swear to you I'm lying. You know, that kind of, that's not what he says. I, I, I swear that I am telling you I do not know him, when in fact he clearly does know Jesus. And then we have verse 26 here. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off. So then you have, John tells us now, a relative of Malchus asked Peter, didn't I see you in the garden of Gethsemane? You look really familiar I'm Malchus's cousin. You ever, have you met Malchus? And Peter's like, yeah, <laughs> thinking, yeah, I did meet Malchus earlier tonight. Um, he sure did. And, and Malchus and him had quite the interaction. But Peter denies even being in the garden. It's like, no, I, I wasn't there. I, I was not in the garden with you. Matthew and Mark tell us that Peter's Galilean accent also gave him away. Because uh, your, your speech betrays you. you you're, you're one of him. You're a Galilean like he is. And because they, they could tell he didn't have the Judean accent, he had a Galilean accent. So different people were noticing, you've got to be with him. But Peter is like, no, 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 I'm not, ready to, I'm not ready to be counted with him, even though he said he would even go and die with Jesus. And right in the middle of his third denial, the rooster crows. Third time. And I'm going to put Luke's words Luke records it this way, because this is the only time I've put up one of the other Gospels. Immediately, so Peter's immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, I wanted you to see the house and the structure, because you can see how Jesus is standing in, he's standing in the reception hall, but there's an open opening, a large opening into the courtyard, and Jesus is looking at Caiaphas, and he can turn and look at Peter in the courtyard by the fire and meets eye to eye. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he said to him before the rooster crows you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly and we can understand why, can't we? How would you feel if Jesus is bound and cannot move and the third time you did it with cursing? Another gospel tells us that he did it with cursing to make sure he did it with an oath the second time, the third time he had a cursing to make sure when I'm not with him and Jesus, the rooster crows and Jesus turns and looks right at Peter. This is what I told you you'd do. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? Because later, he'll be by a fire of coals on the beach with Jesus, and Jesus will say, do you love me? It's going to be restored. And I just kind of bring this to an end. Aren't you glad for grace and second chances? Yeah. All of us have looked at Jesus at the end of a day and said, Lord, I really blew this one. Amen. 
I should have been a witness for you. I, I got embarrassed that I'm even a Christian. I was fear over fear for my career or whatever it was. I, I've been there. You've been there. And Lord's like, confess it and let me help you take new steps. Amen? Peter, that night, failed miserably. Caiaphas moved evilly. But Jesus stood victoriously, faithfully, and unlike us, flawlessly. Amen? And that's why his, his flawlessness covers our many flaws. And so as we just close in prayer, Father, we thank you that your son has never failed. And Lord, we've all failed you many times. But Lord, we thank you for it truly is amazing grace. And Peter, Lord, we, he, he meant to follow you. He wanted to follow you. He was trying to follow you in the wee hours of the night. He was tired. He had been falling asleep. He, yes. he was doing his best. And yet, Lord, when it came crunch time, he was afraid of men. Yes, Jesus. And he was afraid of losing his life or whatever it may be. And, and, but, Lord, you said, you said that you'd prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. Yeah, he skinned his knees badly, but it wasn't a fatal flaw. And Lord, you restored him. And, yes, and, and yes. 53 days later, he's preaching at Pentecost and 3,000 will get saved. Yes, Lord. And so, Lord, we're just thankful that you're the God of second chances and 100th chances. Yes, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that in this room, we would not take for granted your grace, but we would appropriate it to walk in newness of life. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship?